Lord Jesus Christ, your, your word speaks to us even today. Uh, we are in awe that you leave us not as orphans, but that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, may you teach us through the power of your Holy Spirit. May you help our minds and our souls and our hearts to remember you this morning. Oh, living God, speak to us afresh today. It's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I love this passage. It's just one of those that we could read and just reread and reread without any explanation, and the, and I, the Holy Spirit would just speak to us. Um, some of you are probably like, okay, we'll do that, Rick. <laughs> but we, I do have a message prepared for you. So in the summer of, of 2018, our, our family took this epic trip. Uh, it was shortly after planting restoration. We were in uh, need of refreshment, need of some family time. So we took a few weeks to get away, and we drove all the way from Minneapolis to Seattle. And we stopped from various, or, uh, along the way at various national parks and state parks. It was the trip of a lifetime. And our first stop was at Custer State Park in South Dakota. Anyone been to Custer State Park? Yeah, great, awesome. It's a really good park. I had never heard of it before this trip, I'm ashamed to admit, but it was fantastic. And we had been learning about bison uh, leading up to this trip, and we're driving along, and we're like, man, it'd be great to see a bison. And, and we're like looking for bison out our windows, and we certainly passed plenty of fields and meadows where we would have expected to see one. And finally, my spiritual, very spiritual, uh, mature wife was like, I have an idea. Let's ask God to show us a bison. And so we pray for a bison. Do you girls remember this? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> Very clearly, Karis says, great. So what happened next? What, what happened as soon as we prayed for that bison? Uh huh. Oh, I forgot that part of the story. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that you said that, Karis, because I was going to tell the story differently, and you guys hate it when I tell stories differently. So I'm glad that we did that. So for, and the little child shall lead them. Yeah. So for, for those of you uh, who didn't catch what she said, she said that as soon as we prayed that, Karis looked out the window. She saw a bison there. She told the rest of our family, and we're like, no, that wasn't a, what are you talking about? That couldn't have happened. But she was insistent. And so I was like, all right. So I knew that if I didn't turn around the car, that we would hear about it for the rest of the summer. So we turn around the car, and we look, and sure enough, there was a sole bison. And not just any bison, like the scene was gorgeous. It was this lush green valley with these tall trees that were peeking over with this gorgeous little river. I mean, the, the valley was no bigger than the theater right here. And the bison was just in the middle of it. And I kid you not, the kids as my witness, there was this golden beam of light that was just like perfectly breaking through the trees, illuminating this Jesus bison. Like it was, it was amazing. It was such a great moment. And we were all energized in that moment. Our faith just had, our souls had this like shot of, of holy adrenaline that was uh, thrust through us. In that moment, we knew that we worship the living God who hears and answers prayer. I thought of the Bible verse that the cattle of a, on a thousand hills belongs to our Lord. He is the good father who gives good gifts to his children. 
But that's not all. That, that sacred, that beautiful, that exciting, fun, holy encounter shaped our behavior from that point on. It changed us. It changed the way that we plan our trips, the way that we think of bison now. Whenever we see a bison, we remember that moment. And we're like, yeah, you know, that hurt a bison or cool. Remember that one time? You know, we're constantly talking about that moment. But also, like I said, it's shaped our decisions, our habits, our behavior, because now we're addicted to going out into the wilderness and seeking out more opportunities like this. More opportunities to go out into the wilderness and, and pray with our Lord and, and see what sort of exciting ways he surprises us. So it shapes our behavior. Maybe some of you, as, as I've even been telling this story, you can think of moments like that where you've just kind of thrown out this sort of shot-in-the-dark kind of prayer and then boom, like God shows up in that moment. In these, my point is this. We have these sacred moments in our lives that sort of redirect you that change the way in which you think. These, these events change the, the things that you love, the things that you pray for, just in these you know, split-second sacred moments. You think you're going down one path, and then boom, the journey is transformed. Well, on Easter morning, 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead. He kicked open the tomb. He emerged from the grave. And that was a cataclysmic, sacred event. Whether it was the, the women who came to the tomb or the men on the road to Emmaus, the Bible is full of normal people like me and you whose lives were just flipped upside down after they encountered the resurrected Jesus. An anointed Jesus bison is cool, uh, but a man who comes back from the dead is truly transformative. It's catalytic. It'll change your life. So today, we're going to be looking at what it means to have a transformed life. We're going to be looking at how the resurrection changes our lives, the way in which we think, the way in which we relate to one another. What, how does our trajectory change because of the resurrection? And what sort of challenges do we face along the way? It's certainly not an easy walk. We don't get answered prayers with yes every single time we ask, right? But what sort of help does God give us? You see, I believe fully that the Christian life, it's not about necessarily being a, a plight, kind person who's holding the doors open for people all the time. Sometimes that's, that's kind of the caricature of what Christianity is in our society to these, these days. But the Christian life is about having eyes open for the sacred. It's about fostering a holy curiosity it's about having a holy imagination planted within you, the mind of Christ, where we're hungry and expecting these sorts of moments, this hopeful anticipation that God the Father does, in fact, answer prayer. So <clears throat> what I would like to do today is I actually want to spend a little bit of time in each one of these three passages that we read this morning. We're not going to be able to do a deep dive into all of them, uh, but I think that this is one of those Sundays in which the three lectionary readings that we have for us just do a beautiful job of speaking to one another. In fact, as this week goes on, you know, reread all of them and kind of see how these authors, even though each one of these letters were written very, very far apart from each other, they're so remarkably consistent and they build upon one another. They speak to one another. But I want us to see how the resurrection of Jesus leads us into a life of, of faithfulness, a life of beauty, and a life of hope. Faithfulness, beauty, and hope. So let's, we'll just spend one second in John, and then we're going to hop over to Deuteronomy. But I want to start by pointing out what Jesus says in John 14, in that gospel passage. 
in verse 15. He says, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his eventual ascension, which we're going to celebrate in a few weeks by flying kites out in a park. It's going to be awesome. Uh, But Jesus is, is preparing his disciples because he's going to leave in a little bit. And he wants them to have these final instructions before he leaves. So what does Jesus mean when he says, keep my commandments? Well, certainly he means love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He, he means love your neighbor as yourself. He's, he means quite clearly, you know, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, other teachings that we've heard not only from Jesus, but as God has brought the law to his people. So there's a lot that we can conclude, or include in that. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, at first glance, this might feel a little manipulative. We don't like hearing the, the word if used when we're asked to love someone, right? This reminds me of a joke that my dad used to say. He used to say, if you love me, you will buy me a Ferrari. Like, that's not really what Jesus is saying here. Now, my dad was totally kidding. It's okay to laugh at that. We're not scarred by him saying that. But, but, but seriously, though, some of us might have individuals in our life who used love in a manipulative sort of way like that, you know, to try to get favors from you or certain behaviors or whatnot. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus doesn't use his love or demand love from us as a way of manipulating behavior out of us. And so that's why I think that Deuteronomy 4 is really helpful for this. So you can um, glance over at that passage right now. So here in Deuteronomy, the Hebrew people are also being called to keep God's commandment. We see that in that final paragraph there. But what does God do before he, he tells them to, command, or to follow his commandments? Well, he lists all the things that he has done first, because he's the first initiator. He lists all the things that he has done for his people. He's like, I spoke to you from fire. I rescued you from the, the oppressive Egyptians. I fed you in the desert with spiritual food, real food. I prepared a land for you. I made this easy for you. And so because of that, I ask you to keep my commandments. Live in this righteous, holy, beautiful life. You see, what God is doing here is he's, he's wooing his people to him. He's reminding them how much he loves them. And he's like, I want to see this love reciprocated. I brought you here so that you would reflect my love, that you would experience my love, that we would be in relationship with one another. Like a good, good parent who never grows weary of telling you, I love you to the moon and back, God is demonstrating his love to his children, that he does hard things for them. The other day I was having a conversation with my mom and she was giving me some, some really great advice and um, you know, I, I kind of pushed back a little bit and maybe you've heard your mothers uh, say this to you, but she said, I brought you into the world. You know? So it's kind of a way of saying like, I did something really hard for you. Like it wasn't necessarily you know, easy to bring you into the world. Therefore, I know you and you should, li- you should pay particular attention to my advice. It's kind of what my mom was saying, right? And here, that's what God is saying. You know, we can even glance over at the passage from 1 John and be reminded of what Jesus did for us. God has given his own life for all of you, for all of us. Therefore, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. So God desires 
faithfulness from his people. He is the resurrected God. He has done a lot for us. He's done hard things for us. And therefore, he expects faithfulness from his people. Now I'd like to turn our attention to that epistle reading from 1 John. What I love here in this passage is that faithfulness is rooted specifically in, and I've kind of alluded to this, but faithfulness is rooted in the work of Jesus. There in first, verse 16, it says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. And then throughout this passage, there's a portrait painted of what the beautiful community looks like. This is a beautiful place where, truly, love transforms a community. So those of us who are part of a church, this is, these are the expectations that are placed upon us. You know, if it wasn't for church, we would all probably be strangers with one another, right? There's a lot of differences among the people here in this room. I'm not sure that we would know each other if it weren't for the invitation, the belonging, the beautiful community that exists here, our common faith. And so what the scriptures are calling us to is to relate to one another as family, as brothers and sisters. Now that is remarkable. We should not ever take that for granted. We are brothers and sisters. The spirit binds us together in a special way that even flesh and blood can't or affiliation with a club or you know, a particular brand that you're a big fan of or a sports team that you support or whatever. Like brothers and sisters is what we are. And if we go through this passage, we see that this is a place where hatred is named and expunged. Guilt is dealt with forever. Forgiveness abounds. But also there's practical things that the Apostle John lists in here. He says, financially, take care of one another. If you see someone who's burdened, who's suffering, use your resources to alleviate that. And I love that over the course of this pandemic, we've, we've, I've seen many of you doing just exactly that. You see, this is the beautiful community that exists because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, at this point in my message, it would be really easy for me to then kind of open up the headlines that we're all seeing right now, you know, in the news or have seen over the last year and say, see, see how bad they're at at loving each other, you know? Like the world is full of hatred and Christians, like we're totally perfect. We get that perfect all the time, right? Like maybe that, wouldn't, that would be actually very really difficult to prove. <laughs> but, but like it is really tempting, I think, for us to kind of have this us and them sort of mentality, you know, out there bad, in here good sort of understanding. That would be an easy way out to apply this particular portion of the scripture. But what we see John doing here is he's calling us towards love, but he starts with the charge of us to love one another, to focus first on those who are gathering together for, uh, the, the, for fellowship with one another. So what about us? What about us here at Restoration Anglican? What are some questions to help us ponder whether or not we're actually adhering to this? Have you harbored bitterness or resentment towards someone who's actually sitting here right now in the room? Has your life group ever turned into a place of gossip or um, just reckless complaining? Have you ever spoken ill of someone without first taking the steps to seek out friendship with them, to hear their story, to ask them questions, to listen to them? Is there someone here in the room right now who you yourself have judged from a distance without first taking steps to have a conversation 
with that person. So Lent might be in our rearview mirror, but that doesn't mean that we get a pass on examining our hearts and rooting out sin and bitterness that festers within us. Now, the good news is we're resurrection people, and we have the cross. We have ways of dealing with sin in our heart. But may we submit ourselves to the examination of the Holy Spirit all year round and look for ways in which we can confess hatred that is within us and seek out the Lord to replace it with his forgiveness and his love and his charity. Dear children, the Apostle John says, let's not merely say we love one another, but let us show the truth in our actual actions. So faith creates a beautiful community. So we're not, uh, you see, because in all of this, we're not just faithful to God's commands for our own sake, but because it leads to a beautiful um, community. Now, the problem is that we don't do this very well all the time. Like, we stink at this, right? Like, oftentimes, the Christian walk can feel like two steps forward, but then five steps backwards. And so I'd like to return to John's gospel for this, because what Jesus himself tells us as part of his final instructions to us is he says, I'm going to ask the, my Father in heaven, to, and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. Now, Jesus gets really excited about this. He says, in fact, to his people, it's better for me to leave and depart so that I can pour out my spirit upon you, so that I can give all of you through the, power, through the waters of baptism the actual um, presence of the Holy Spirit. Irenaeus, one of the church fathers, said that God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are like two hands of the Father, equal in glory, equal in majesty, equal in power. The Spirit is within us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now alive in us. He dwells in you. He teaches you. He helps you to remember Jesus's words. He is the embodiment of Christ our peace. And he gives you the Holy, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit as a guide, a helper, a, a companion. Now, there's a lot that we could say about the Holy Spirit. You know, we could open up to the first pages of the Bible, and we could talk about the Spirit hovering over the chaos of creation and bringing order and beauty and life to it. We could also turn to the final pages of, of the Bible in Revelation 22, when the Spirit of God, out of his abundant love, is drawing people to himself, saying, come, eat, come and be, be cleansed and nourished here at the waters. Come, come and be healed there at the close of our scriptures. Now, you're not going to grow close to the Holy Spirit simply through study. Now, we need it. We need to immerse ourselves in the scriptures, but books alone aren't going to foster a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He is elusive. He is spirit. He blows wherever he may. He's not someone to be conjured up through magic or secret words or anything like that. No. The best way to grow in your relationship with the Spirit of God is to talk to him, is to carve out time in your, in your daily lives, to carve out time in your moments of stress to reach out and talk to him. In your life groups, here at church, to talk to him, to talk to him, because he loves hearing from his children. And so we can pray things like, God, give me the power to overcome the struggles that I'm facing. God, the only way I'm going to be able to overcome this is with the power of your spirit living within me. 
So God, give me your strength. Give me your, care, your courage to share about you with my neighbor. God, it's really hard to love that person who's kind of sitting right over there right now. Help me to see your image reflected in and through that person. These are prayers that the Holy Spirit loves to answer, loves to mold and shape our, our hearts and our minds. So last week, I announced that our church will be moving into a new building this fall. Woo, so excited about that. And Molly and I, along with many of you, have been praying uh, for a home for our nomadic church for quite a long time. Quite a long time. We've been praying uh, for this even before Restoration started weekly services back in November. Well, it was so fun. After we made the announcement last week, uh, a gentleman emailed us, and he said, I've actually been praying specifically for that building, Mount Zion, that church at the corner of 57th and Chicago. I've been praying for that space, he said, since 2013. He said he had heard that that congregation was kind of in some, um, in, in some hard times. And so he's been praying that that, that location would continue to be an outpost of, the, of God's grace, an outpost of the gospel for generations to come. He was so concerned that maybe that, that space would be turned into something else. And so he wrote an email to us saying, my prayers have been answered. This is so exciting. You see, friends, for us, because this, this is a home, not just for me and Molly and our family. No, this is a home for you. This is a home for our spiritual communion. This is a remarkable event. For Restoration Anglican, moving into that space, this is an encounter with the risen Lord. This is a resurrection moment for us. And I can't, even go be, I can't even go into all the details of all the various miracles that have gone into all of this. My prayer and our prayer uh, is that we would continually be struck with awe and wonder at the mighty things in which God has done for us. He took us from being a nomadic people, splintered and broken apart even further by, by this pandemic, and he gave us a home. You know, I'm, I just... I, even this week, I was thinking about the ways in which our children have been shaped by starting off and, and seeing this, you know, church in a box basically set up anywhere. <laughs> we've been in parks. We've been in the community center. And now they've seen the provision of the Lord lead us to this place. Like, how is that going to shape their faith for the rest of their lives and, and my faith for the rest of my life, right? This is an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. So brothers and sisters, by the power of the Holy Spirit, May we delight by our, in our God in heaven by honoring him with faithfulness. May we ourselves be building up through the power of the Holy Spirit. May we be building up the beautiful community where love and forgiveness and joy and peace abound. Where the Holy Spirit speaks to us and leads us and guides us all of our days. Please pray with me. Lord God, we stand in awe and wonder at the ways in which you answer old prayers and new prayers. You are the living God who delights in your children. We stand in awe and wonder of who you are and what you have done. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit because uh, as, as we've said, Lord, uh, we're, we're like leaky buckets. You know, we, we get filled up with you and then, and then it just feels like sometimes we're, we're drained of your presence um, through our own wandering and, and sinfulness. But Lord, may you again pour your Holy Spirit into us. Fill us with your very presence because we want to be more like you, not just for our own sake or not just even for the sake of our community, uh, for, for our own church, 
but for our neighborhoods, for our cities, Lord. May we be your presence to the world around us. It's in your name that we pray all of these things, Jesus. Amen.